We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Sooner Sports Podcast, presented by Riverwind and Allstate. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. Well, let's get after it on a Tuesday on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Coming up first thing tomorrow morning, Toby Rowland and I will preview the Big 12 Baseball Tournament. Actually, we'll have a game to recap as well from later tonight. But today, we focus on softball. Aaron Miller joins us, and we'll talk in depth about the Sooners advancing to the Super Regionals. Plus, we'll have another conversation with Ryan Hibble after the Oklahoma Sooners have advanced to the national championship in golf. In fact, it's not just head coach Ryan Hibble who's joining us on this edition of the Sooner Sports Podcast because in addition to Coach Hibble, we'll be joined by Sooner assistant coach Bill Alcorn as we go in-depth on the Sooners rally in Albuquerque and their preparation for the national championship. But first, let's talk some softball. Aaron Miller joins us on this episode of the Sooner Sports Podcast. Well, first and foremost, we've got OU games to recap, but Aaron, you tweeted it. Parody was on display this week, and how exciting was it to see some of the if-necessary games and just some overall great softball this weekend? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I anticipated the landscape being wild and there being some crazy uh, back-against-the-wall softball, but I did not expect this much craziness. Um the parity is across the sport. And, and to me, that means there's growth. When you've got mid-major schools that are upsetting, you know, top 16 seeds, um, this to me means that our sport is elevating and you've just got to celebrate it. With that in mind, is the biggest surprise what we saw? I mean, look, James Madison has an absolute stud in the circle. So I don't think that's too shocking for those who have been following it all season long, but... What was the biggest surprise to you this weekend? 
Well, so I did get to cover the Tennessee regional. I got to see uh, Odyssey Alexander on display. So, um, so I got to witness that firsthand. She's a, she is the real deal, Chris Plank. Like I, I'm telling you, very impressive in the circle. Beyond just how impressive she is in the circle, you not only saw an upset, but you saw, I mean, listen, it was a, what, a two and a three, but still, whenever Tennessee isn't involved in the finals of their own regional, I mean, Aaron, what does that say to you? That says that they were, Liberty and, and James Madison were pretty amazing this year. Well, and, and you've gotten to see Liberty early this year, taking on. Oklahoma twice we got to cover that game Liberty's always been a good team to me they've always been a dark horse that's underrepresented I think James Madison is the same way you know that's a team that has been in the postseason I think I want to say the past five years I mean this this is not a shock I just don't think they're getting the recognition and the stage that they deserve Um, James Madison clearly made a statement against Tennessee Um, they 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 packed their best punch uh, Odyssey Alexander, that first 10 inning game against Liberty, had a career record and a program record of 19 strikeouts wow. in 10 innings. So she, I mean, looking at what she brings to the circle, um, you're you're going to see a very very tough play against number eight seed Missouri. She was topping out at around 71 miles an hour with a low 50 changeup and drop ball. So her her disparity in speed, the range of her um, repertoire in the circle has was very impressive. Aaron, this is an exciting weekend, right? Because we're back in the booth. I mean, you get an opportunity now to be on site. I would assume outside of being a fan at a couple of games, uh, and then what we got a chance to to do a few games at USA Softball Hall of Fame Stadium and at Marita Hines Field. Just on a, a pure personal level, how excited are you to be back in a booth this week and on site? And where are you? In Stillwater? I'm in Stillwater, so I'm about 50 miles up the road from my house. I, you know, I I had a conversation with a couple of teammates just about how, and colleagues, about how excited I am, even if I can't be in close proximity with coaches and players, the sights, the sounds, the smells, just the ambiance and the feel of being in a stadium and not at limited capacity. This is going to be a hundred percent capacity. It's going to be electric. It's postseason play. I, the nostalgia I think is just going to hit me right in the heartstrings when I get in that stadium. I I won't lie to you. It was, it hit me pretty hard on Friday. You know, we've had some, (laughs) we've had some good crowds, Aaron, this year, but when, um, when Sweet Caroline is played after the fifth inning, or I guess we had to do it mid, uh, in the fourth inning because of where the game was on Friday night, and that was the first time that they had a chance to do it all season long. And you heard everyone singing along with that when that Sooner team comes out of the dugout and Boomer, and it's Sooner. It's not just this one small section. It's the whole stadium. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm not just saying this because softball was in the regionals, but watching the NBA and seeing what Trey Young did and looking at baseball, this felt like a almost a real sports weekend. Like, I don't want to – tear down the goalpost at halftime, but an almost we're back. Yeah. Well, you know how special sweet Caroline is to me. That was, uh, that was my rally cry that would pull me out of the dugout to dance with our fans. So I, I definitely can relate to your sentiment. I think that the sports, the sports world, the fan base is just ready for normalcy to be back. And what better time than in postseason for a heck of a postseason run 
uh, potentially for the Sooners. Uh, you and I are going to have a show on Friday where we go through all of the Elite Eight, I keep saying Elite Eight, Super Regional games of the uh, 16 teams that are left, and then we'll get down to eight for the Women's College World Series. So we'll go in-depth on every single Super Regional in sight and in-depth on the game that you're covering. Obviously, a lot of mm-hmm. Sooner eyes will be on Oklahoma State and Texas, but I know you follow from afar. You were keeping close tabs. You had a couple rain delays, so maybe able to watch more than you typically could. But what'd you what'd you make of Oklahoma's performance in the Norman Regional this weekend? Oh man, um, you know i I knew there was a lot of fight in that squad, and even when teams would get up early, you know, four run deficit at times, there was never surrender. There was never worry. There was never a shift in energy other than go go, 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 you know, pedal to the metal, apply pressure. Um, a four-run deficit didn't even affect that team at any point. And to me, you know, where where there are weaknesses within this squad, we've seen a little bit of adversity with pitching, of just being able to hammer that strike zone, being able to get key outs when it matters. Um, I thought the good uh, Wichita State team, the Shockers, what they put up against OU – was vital in preparation as we enter into super regionals. Now, I, I agree with Coach Gass's sentiment. They shouldn't have been sent to Norman. That team's way too good to be facing the number one seed. I mean, you saw they, they've got potentially triple-digit home runs, and their their power numbers were good enough to get them somewhere else instead of coming through Norman. Um, and Coach Gasso has reflected that disappointment and given them mad props, they're, they're a very good mid-major team. Coach Breadbinner there is top tier. And what we saw between them and Oklahoma, um, one, it displays the growth of our sport. And that mid-major talent is taking huge strides. But two, it showed some weaknesses within the Sooners. Um, you know, too many pitches left over the heart of the strike zone. And I, I think that in that way, it shows that, yes, our 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 offense, OU's offense can come back from pretty much any deficit, but is that sentiment going to ring true against some elite pitching? You know, as they face Washington, as they face Gabby Plain, one of the best arms in the nation, in the final three for National Player of the Year, will our offense be able to rescue potentially a tough situation that, that our pitchers face? That is what I'm most eager to see this weekend is what our pitching staff, what Oklahoma pitchers can do in um, very pressure filled moments. Yeah. Uh, And you mentioned Gabby playing finalist, as you brought up for player of the year with Jossie and Rachel Garcia. Uh, And and again, I feel like she's been around so long, but that drop (laughs) ball. Aaron, can you just take us through the challenges when you see something that looks so perfect and it just falls off the table as effectively as Gabby Plains and drop ball does? Well, you know, in my eyes, the drop ball was always the hardest to hit. It's the hardest to elevate. It's the hardest to hit well without pounding it into the ground. And then for Gabby Plain, I think what makes her so good is obviously the spin on that drop ball, but it's heavy as heck, Chris Plank. It it is a thud when it hits the bat it it's the the rpms those rotations that make that ball so freaking heavy i mean it, it will rattle your hands if you do not hit it square um and and i'll be honest i think of the offense of oklahoma and the way that in my years past i know things have 
have changed over the evolution of JT Gasso stepping in as the hitting coach, but to generate backspin, the plane of attack doesn't always match up with a drop ball. So this this is going to be a true challenge to adjustments at the plate, I think, with, with an elite pitcher, Gabby Plain, focusing on lower in the zone. Oklahoma is going to have to adjust and have a game plan to face that movement. Two more quick ones, and we'll let you get out of here, Aaron. First one, I, I love this strategy on Sunday that Coach Gasso implemented. Mm-hmm. I know there was a lot of questions about why Olivia Reigns, and even, even afterwards she said maybe a little bit unfair to put Liv in that situation when she hadn't started a game this season. But to me, it spoke to the analytics and the strategy behind, you know, having arms and having the numbers that they have now. And they looked at two pitchers whose, who's, I guess you could say, their balls seemed like they matched pretty well with Wichita State's swing plane. Didn't work out so well for them, but it just showed you that confidence they have in not being afraid to take a gamble this late in the season. Yeah, and... Let's be honest here, Chris. We can sit around and talk around a table or get our Twitter thumbs in a frenzy about the decisions being made. But at the end of the day, no one knows their team better than Coach Gasso. That's right. Right? Knows their pitching staff better than Jen Rocha. So for us to analyze and try and break down the decisions and why, why, you know, who's getting the starting ball. Listen, from a public eye, guys, as you're witnessing decisions being made, there is so much happening behind the scenes, day in, day out at practice, private conversations, one-on-one battles, challenges, mental challenges. There are so many things that factor into those decisions that we know nothing about. And I would consider myself pretty in the know. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm on a I'm on a daily, you know, call with coaches all over the nation. I, you know, I feel like I stay in touch with coach Gasso pretty much every week. I I consider myself in the know and there's still things that I still will never see because that is the bubble. That's the nature of our sport is there are daily challenges and growth and things that these coaches witness that we'll never be privy to. So we've just got to trust that coach Gasso and Jen Rocha know their players, they know what's going to put their, their team in a position to win, and ultimately, in, in the mind's eye of growth and thinking of Olivia Reigns, that moment was probably um, pivotal to the growth of her career for seasons to come. Sometimes you've got to have a little faith to put the ball in the hands of a young pitcher and go, listen, figure it out. This is, this is a big-time game, and you'll never be ready for this moment if we don't just put you in it. Great and so point. I think oh. – Great point. Great point. I, I didn't want to cut you off by any stretch of the imagination, Aaron, but it reminded me a lot of, you know, 2017, Mendez got a start. Nicole Mendez late in the series. I'm like, oh, my – I think even in the championship series, she started the game in the circle. And I thought about 16, that second game. You know, whenever Coach Gasso, after you guys had won the first game, and she decided to go with Kelsey Stevens in that second game, mm-hmm. you hit it on the head. We can get all riled up with our Twitter fingers and, and, and try to act all in the know, but bottom line here, this is Coach Casso, and there are layers and levels of plans and strategy that go behind a call like that. Oh, completely. And no, nobody knows what's best than her. And I, I can remember, you know, just the, the classic saying of iron sharpens iron. There are battles happening every Hey guys, I mean, you, you are probably closer to it than even I now, Chris, being, you know, in close proximity to that team, seeing practices, like there's fights. I think of 
I think of like Lindsay Elam and Kinsey Hansen fighting for that starting role. Now, keep in mind, it's all in, in good nature. I think that there is no bad culture or bad blood. But the fact that you have a double digit home run hitter and Elam, who absolutely went off last weekend, battling for that starting role behind the plate. Like these are the type of things that we don't necessarily see on a day to day basis. We only see during seven innings. Well, heck, mostly five innings this year for the Sooner squad. Um, but, you know, it, it, that's what a good problem to have to struggle to figure out who you're going to put in that starting nine. What a what a brilliant problem to have. Most coaches do not have that dilemma facing them every day. Aaron Miller's postseason breakdown of the Sooners in college softball brought to you by Communication Federal Credit Union vote, voted number one, ranked number one by Forbes magazine as the number one credit union in Oklahoma. Aaron, we'll go in-depth on Friday. We'll get back on that Zoom and uh, roll through the entire Super Regional. Can't wait for it. Have a great week and pumped that you're back on site. Awesome. Me too. Can't wait to chat with you. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Awesome stuff from Aaron. Friday at 2 o'clock, Saturday at 2 o'clock, and the If Necessary game Sunday at 3 o'clock against Washington. All right, Meg McDonald had a chance to talk about the OU men's golf team with two of the most important pieces, Ryan Hibble and Bill Alcorn. Coach Hibble, I'll start with you. Just generically, how would you describe the week at regionals? It was a tough week, uh, you know, and I know everybody back home's watching through golf stat. Uh, it's, it's just a better reason for us to keep getting uh, college golf on television like the national championship will be because it's such a great sport to to watch and coming down the stretch, high impact, intensity, all over the place. And, uh, you know, our guys did a great job coming down the stretch. But at the start of the week, you know, we didn't get off to a great start. Uh, first round, uh, we really didn't take care of business on the easier holes. Uh, you know, there was quite a bit of birdies in Albuquerque on certain holes, and we just didn't do a, a good enough job in those areas. And, and that hurt us on Monday and Tuesday. And you know, the conversations from Monday to Tuesday changed. You know, Monday it's more about, hey, we're, we're okay. Um, you know, everything's going to be fine as long as we kind of X, Y, Z do this, this, and this. Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night type of conversation is significantly different. Uh, you know, backs are against the wall. And we got to go make something happen. And uh, that's, that's what our guys did. They really rose to the occasion on Wednesday. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting week, though. Uh, you know, van rides were, were pretty somber, uh, going back and forth to getting food, not very much talking going on, uh, you know, because they can feel the intensity and, and call it what it is, it's, it's expectations. When everybody expects you to be playing well, our guys believe that they're the best. They believe that they're supposed to be 
playing better. Um, you know, it's it's a um, it's tough when when the target's on your back and you're not performing at that level. So just really proud of how they finished uh, and handled, uh, you know, obviously on Wednesday and getting us through there. So, Bill, we talked a little bit about this off camera, but I find it so interesting who you walk with, what you say to some of these athletes. So take us through it. Who do you walk with? And then Ryan will follow up with who you walk with. Yeah, so this really each week is different and how they're lined up in the lineup as well. But, you know, day one I went out with uh, Vinny. Um, he was the first out, so I wanted to go with him. And then I kind of relay information to, to Coach Ibble, and, and we work kind of as a team with me out in front. Sometimes he's out in front, depending on who's in that spot. Um, and then the second day I was with um, Ben Lorenz and, and was with him throughout, which he did a great job as a freshman when we threw him in there. I mean, he did a fantastic job that final round. But I was with him that second day and then uh, again with him on the final day. At one point I jumped back to Logan to try to get him stirred up and get some mode going with him. Um, he had just kind of a tough round that final round, but did a good job those first two days for us. And then um, down the stretch, I, I was with uh, Ben Lorenz kind of on the last six holes and then fell back on 18 with, with each player um, until Hibble was with JB coming up in the last group. And so what's your plan of attack with your guys? Well, like Bill said, I mean, every week is significantly different. It, it all is really based on the golf course and, and, and also how we're feeling with each guy. Uh, but I've been walking with John quite a bit, uh, especially towards the end of the springtime. We, we work well together, and, and sometimes when you have that rapport, you end up sticking with it, and, and I started walk, walking with him in the first round, and he just played great all week long, so it's kind of hard to want to disturb that. You know, you bounce around when moments are there, uh, you know, depending on if the holes are running parallel, and, hey, we still would like this ball in a certain spot versus another spot, or, hey, you know, we're going to be as super aggressive here. Those are the conversations that we're having, uh, but you know, final round because I know that's what everybody's wanting to, to hear about. I mean, you know, Bill's texted me. We, we got our, our freshman Ben Lorenz um, doing a great job, and he makes a 20 footer on the 18th <laughs> hole for birdie, and he sends me a big boom text, you know. And then right behind him is is Quaid, who finishes it off with a great birdie, and I get another one, you know, big <laughs> boom. And, and then Gary Man's coming in. And we get, I get another text message, and I'm on 17 at, at this time with, with, with Big John. And at that point, we had gotten above Texas A&M, which on the board, that's what we needed to do to make sure we stayed at 12 under or better. And John did a great job. He hit a, he hit a phenomenal drive, a little wedge in there, about 12 feet. And 18 is not a, a very difficult par five, as long as you get it off the tee box uh, in a good spot. And and so I, I started feeling pretty good on 17, and sure enough, John three putts it. <laughs> so we give up a shot. Wasn't he on in two? It, well, no, I'm sorry. This is 17 part four. Oh, okay. I okay. gotcha. So he three putts, and then all of a sudden, you know, things change. That's how fast college golf changes. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, to his credit, uh, he stepped up on 18 and absolutely dropped a bomb uh, on this par five. And that's what we needed. We needed yeah. him to be in play to where we could go for the green in two, which he did. He put it in the middle of the green with a seven iron. I mean, you know, he had a, he had a nice drive and was able to two-putt that and then walk away with a birdie. But, I, you know, again, the tensions are high. I yeah. mean, you know, his heart's racing, my, my heart's racing, but we're trying to be as calm as we possibly can for our guys. They don't need to feel that energy. They just need to understand that, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can to put ourselves in a, in a great spot. But college golf can, can quickly turn, you know, when, you're, when you've got – 
essentially four guys. So you got five guys going, but you're counting four scores. So a lot, a lot of things can happen, um, you know, for the good and obviously for the worse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, depending on the situation. But for for this moment, it was fantastic because we had four birdies on the last hole, which uh, was the tidal wave that we needed. So no leaderboards on this course, and you guys communicate via text, via boom. Is that <laughs> is that what we're getting yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> for the most part. So how aware are you two about the scores, especially heading into the clubhouse down the stretch? You know, I, think, I think we do a little differently, both of us. I don't like to look at anything um, until it gets to the point where all right, do I need to move on to another player or who do I need to help and where, where does that need to be? I, I feel like I do a better job if I'm just with the guy and trying to figure out how do I um, maximize, his, his, um, maximize what he can do that day. And so um, I know he looks a little bit more often than I do, but you know, coming down the stretch, I absolutely look. And, and, and I feel like when I was playing, knowing – that got me more excited, and, and, and so I think even coaching, coming down the stretch, I like feeling where we're, where we're at and what we want to do and, and what we need to do. Um, and some guys on our team want to know where we're at. Some guys don't want to know where we're at. So it's just kind of, you know, I look because sometimes they want to know. And, and um, um, I think there's some guys that that can really help and, and get them excited about where they're at and what they need to do and other guys it can kind of hurt. So you just have to know who you're with at the time and, and what information you need to feed them um, to, to get them going the right direction. So who wants to know and who doesn't want to know? You want to know, Hibble. Well, I mean, I want to know in the right moments. Yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I didn't really look, to be honest with you, until we got to about number nine in the final round. So. You know, because early on, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I mean, we got off to a really nice start. We got off to the, the perfect start on Wednesday that we needed to. We, of those four guys that counted, we had three birdies and an eagle. And that's what we hadn't been doing uh, earlier in the week, uh, you know, really attacking the easier holes. Number one was a, was a fairly easy par five, and, and they did a great job there. So immediately we're already kind of heading in the right direction. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll look depending on the situation, but – Again, I, I mean, I've learned over the years, I mean, you can't let a, you know, what you see on a board dictate uh, what you're, you know, the information that you're really telling a guy unless there's a moment, you know, maybe it's a drivable par four, maybe yeah. it's a, an aggressive play on a par five or whatever the case may be because we're still just trying to put our guys in the best spot possible. And it's not more about, hey, we're going to fire right at this flag. If that's the right play, then it's the right play. If it's not, then we're going to tell them where the ball needs to be regardless. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, I, wouldn't you love to know how many golf stat hits uh, that, that <laughs> website gets on the final day at regionals? I would uh, yeah. because it's not just our regional. They're all over the country, and, and it's happening uh, left and right at every regional championship. Mm-hmm. And I would say – you know, I'm biased, but I think we have arguably the hardest championship to win because of our qualifying process. Re- you know, you can play all year long, then you still go to regionals. And in our sport, a 50th ranked team can beat you just as quickly as anybody. And uh, the parity is, is so is so strong. Um, and, and so we get through regionals, and then all of a sudden we go to nationals, and you have 54 holes. There's a, there's a cut, then there's another 18 holes, there's a cut, and there's a match. So it's a long, drawn-out process. And... And uh, the, just the, the energy and, st- and stress of it all, we're trying to take all that in and take it off of our guys, you know, because we just want them to just go play golf. But uh, it's, it still is it's interesting, you know, because a guy like a Logan McAllister, high, 
high kind of stress guy, you know, and, and uh, you know, wants to kind of know what's going on and feel it all out and, and walking quickly to everything. And then you got a guy like a Patrick Welch who kind of just does his thing, walks around. I, I don't really know if he cares about where we are or what's going on. He just is going to keep doing what he does, you know. So every personality is significantly different, but um, that's, that's our job is to try and, you know, help them and put them in the right spots. So I'll keep it here with you. I know hindsight is 2020, obviously, but Ben Lorenz comes in, lineup change, shoots even par on the two rounds, mm -hmm. all things considered. Were you expecting him to do that well in a high-pressure situation where, all right, our backs are up against the wall and we yeah. need a freshman to deliver? Yes. Uh, I mean, he's been traveling with, with us all spring long, and he, I mean, that's part of the program, you know, is, is whether or not you're in that starting five, buying into when it, when it's your opportunity you have got to be ready and willing to step up and we believed in his game um yeah. he's one of the best ball strikers on our golf team has shown us all year long um and you know we decided to make the change after the first round you know patrick's been struggling a little bit on the greens and and uh, uh we just need a little bit of juice in there and and i just didn't want to make the change going into a final round uh for a young freshman so the second round really helped set him up for the final round at the end of the day. I think he would tell you that, uh, you know, he didn't even count for us in the second round. But had he not played, it, it would have been a, a way more difficult situation for him in that final round. He, got, he understood the golf course at that point. And, uh, but he's got a big-time game, great, great future in front of him. And, and we're expecting him to go. I mean, he's going back home in, mm -hmm. in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to feel good. The air is going to feel good. The grass is going to feel right to him. And uh, so we're expecting him to, to come uh, forget about the fact that he's a freshman. I mean, this is the end of his freshman year. He's not a freshman anymore. And he's, he's been with us kind of through the gauntlet all year long. So a lot of experience, even though it's young experience for him right now. And uh, I think he's feeling great about what just happened. Bill, we know a lot about this lineup as a whole. These guys are old. They're all like seven feet tall. They hit it really far. Um, I can say that I'm 5'2", so everyone's seven feet tall. Um, but what do we know about Ben? How would you describe Ben to Sooner Nation? A really big-time ball striker, and he really is a good driver of the golf ball, too. Um, I was really impressed because I was with him those two days. On the putting greens, he, um, he was hitting his lines really, really well. Um, if we get him lined up where he needs to be lined up on the putting surface, he pretty much hits it where, where we want it. Now, his speed can be a little bit different here and there, but um, I also saw some things around the greens from him this week that I hadn't seen all year. And from, we talk about him, he's not a freshman anymore. I mean, he's, he's, he's grown up uh, way different golfer than he was when he came in in, in August. Um, he's got a lot more craft around the greens, um, still has a ways to go there, but he hit some shots that uh, to save par and, and even for birdie, um, you know, like you said, no one saw any of the golf this week, but he made a great birdie putt um, on number nine. Not uh, on number nine, make the turn to get the two under on the back nine, but he was 40 yards short-sided in a bunker and hit an unbelievable bunker shot to eight feet and then made the putt. I mean, those are big-time moments for a freshman, and uh, um, he didn't have those types of shots um, back in August, but now he's, he's really developed into a very nice all-around player. Before we get to the very end of the third round, I do want to have, have you answer the same questions. So two questions for both of you. What was the moment you thought, 
I don't think we're going to do it. And then what was the moment you were like, okay, we're good, we're going, everything's fine. So Hibble, I'll start with you. <laughs> when we, I think we weren't going to do it. I don't know if I ever had that full clarity moment. I mean, I feel like with our group of guys, uh, I, I've been in that moment before, and, and this was not that team that you could give up hope, any, any form of hope on because they have the firepower. And were there long uh, conversations in my head uh, <laughs> about what was getting ready to happen? Absolutely. I mean, I'll be very uh, transparent there. But, I mean, you, I thought it was all about our start in the final round. And, and, again, I'll go back to we got off to a good start. And if you do that, then you're kind of pressuring the golf course instead of the golf course pressuring you know, you and, and guys playing under, from under par versus over par and the psychology behind that, it's, it's huge on a, on a championship level type golf course uh, where birdies can be hard on some of the harder holes, but they know that there's opportunities, you know, with some easier holes. The minute they got off to a good start, I'm like, all right, we're off and running. And so I felt good about that. Now, I, when it comes to actually sealing the deal, I didn't feel good until the last putt went in the hole. <laughs> uh, but that's the way it is for regionals for me every single year. Um, we've won a regional championship by 22 shots, and I still, you know, you, you, it's, it's the completion. It's like the, the journey. This, the, the journey is such a long, arduous process at regionals uh, and the buildup, and you're coming off of conference. And, and uh, so, yeah, until that putt goes in, you just, you know, my – my thoughts are, are, are at ease, and, and uh, I can tell you, I got a little teary-eyed on 18, though, when John was, uh, he had his eagle putting, and, and really just kind of came over me. I just didn't want that group to miss out. Um, I just didn't want them to not have a potential moment next week, and, and um, so that's what I'm thankful for. It's not about us or, or as a staff or anything. It's, it's purely about these guys I just didn't want them to miss out uh, because we've been there, we've done it, we understand what what it means to be fighting for one of these big big trophies right here, and and I want these guys to to have that opportunity because I think that uh, they're good enough, number one, but they've also worked hard, and uh, that that's what you want for your guys is is for them to be rewarded for their for their hard work. So, two moments, Bill. Yeah. So, <laughs> the night before, you know, we we just. Honestly, we did not play good the first two days. So we're sitting in ninth. I'm texting with Quaid, and uh, you know, we're actually our rooms are next to each other, but we're texting back and forth. And, and he sends me a text, and it simply says, you know, this isn't how it, this is not how it ends. And so I was like, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about him. So uh, you know, <laughs> if we can get the other guys on board like that and and feel that confident, then uh, I thought we'd be in good shape. But um, no, I mean, you do have little doubts kind of throughout the week, um, especially when you're watching guys do things that they normally don't do. They do Typically, we do a great job of, of doing the little things right, but, man, we just weren't doing that early on. Um, but you never feel great until the final putt's in, obviously. But, um, you know, Reban was coming down the stretch. Um, he was playing really well. Unfortunately, he made a, had a three-putt bogey on 15, misses a six-footer for birdie on 16, another three-putt on 17. And but he's in great spirits on 18 fairway. And I'm, I'm walking down, it's the first time I see him. I, I know what he's done uh, previously, but man, he is in a really good frame of mind coming up 18 and hits a great shot on right where JB hit it too, about 35 feet right up underneath it. Um, and, and he two putts that. And so I kinda, at that point, we had JB, I think we were at 13 under, 
JB on 17, which I knew he was in a good spot. I didn't know he was going to three putt, but <laughs> he was in a good spot. And so at that moment, when 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 Reban made that four footer um, to kind of get get us to 13, I could kind of breathe a little bit. And then and then obviously when 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 JB hits a really good first putt to about uh, foot foot and a half, mm-hmm. just tap in for birdie. Um, that's when you're kind of like you you can breathe, you feel you feel good, and uh, time to celebrate. Okay, I'll. And I'm gonna go tell ahead. you when I so I was sitting on the green and I see all the guys um, sitting up there, congr- congratulating each other, high five and hugging and and you, you want to talk about a big time moment? Just watching the guys, big sigh of almost relief. Um, you know, you could feel that from them that we know that we weren't supposed to be in this position, but this is golf and this is athletics and uh, you better bring it or you're going to get beat. But the fact that they were able to accomplish that goal, it was huge. Just watching them you know, do a little mini celebration up there was really cool. So I believe this is JB's first national championship, yeah, no? It is. So how big is that moment? I mean, he is on and two on 18, like absolutely crushing it. And now he gets to go to a national championship for the first time as a transfer mm-hmm. for OU. Well, I, I think, you know, more importantly is you don't, as much as he would have enjoyed going to the national championship by himself as an individual, if that opportunity you know were there for him, um, I think he he would somewhat enjoy that. But you want your boys to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you want your team. The national championship. It would be great to to win the national championship as an individual. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's it's a team event, and uh, it is so much more powerful when you have a group of guys all working towards the same goal and. So anyway, he yeah he he played phenomenal all week, and to have to give him a lot of credit because uh, you know it kind of reminds me a little bit of our very first championship we made back in 2011 uh, at Virginia Tech, and Abe Answer won the regional championship there and really toted us that week in order for us to make it to Carson Creek, uh, which is where the championship was, and and that this week kind of reminded me a little bit of that as they all came together on that final round. But Big John's play yeah. <laughs> really helped pull us through on the front end, or otherwise we would have been in a really bad spot. Yeah. Um, but, but that's why it's a team sport, and everybody has to step up. We can talk about Ben Lorenz's 200 par in the final round. I mean, everybody did their part, and, uh, you know, that's, that's why it's a, it's a great team sport. Okay, final thoughts. One key from the both of you to find success in Scottsdale. Bill, I'll start with you. <sighs> Well, you got to keep the ball in play, obviously. Um, desert golf, um, we know the rough's going to be juicy, and, and you got to be able to control the golf ball going into these green complexes um, at, at, at Greyhawk. But, you know, we do. We have an older, older squad, a veteran squad, um, who I know wants it more than anybody. I mean, there's not a team that, that is going to be more prepared um, and it's going to come down to execution. Um, that, again, this week we, we saw a little lack of execution coming out of the stretch. We saw our guys do a great job on 18, and, and you hope that just carries over um, and, and that they just keep the ball in play and just hit the shots that they need to hit when they need to hit them. I would say we've been out to Greyhawk a couple times now, and, and um, I think fairways and greens. I think the team that actually can hit fair. I mean, it's not a very long golf course, but I think the way the golf course is going to get set up, it's still going to all be about giving yourself as many opportunities as possible. And I, I think Greyhawk can get tricky in some spots that people can un, maybe underestimate it just a smidge. We'll see once we get there. But I think the teams that 
can hit as many fairways and, and more greens than everybody else are going to be in a very good spot. All right, thanks to Meg. Thanks to you for listening to the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you go through, uh, I, I guess it would be what, Apple Podcast. If you consume how I consume podcasts, please leave a five-star review and a, a positive rating would be nice. We've got a big summer plan for the podcast coming up. We're going to try to get some more of the classic games. I've been digging through the library to find the older games. We'll see if we can make that happen. And as always, we appreciate you spreading the word. Thanks to Aaron Miller. Thanks to Ryan Hibble. Thanks to Bill Alcorn. Thanks to Je- uh, Meg McDonald. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow with Toby Rowland and a Big 12 baseball preview right here on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Riverwind, home to a luxury hotel, fine dining, and never-ending rewards. Riverwind is still the one. And Allstate, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Sooner Sports Network.